Welcome to the podcast of data and analytic in business. We will learn from the leading industry experts using data and analytics to solve the problems and create values in practice. We will also learn where the industry is heading to and how data and analytics will shape the industry in the future. Most importantly, how they are preparing their business for digital transformation and disruption in the future. I'm your host, Jason Tan, and thank you for listening. In this episode, we have got David Azar. David is the CEO of Adopt AI. It is an enterprise artificial intelligence solution provider for commercial and industrial facility that is specializing in the real estate. David will share with us how the landlord can use AI solution and big data to better manage the building asset that they own that in turn will prolong the life cycle of the asset as well as better facilitate with the contractor who was servicing your building. More than that, he also shares some example in terms of using the sensor and also IoT devices to better measure the movement of your tenant. And with that, you can better plan for your facilities and how to manage and run your building. Well, I have to say, this is really another really unique and uh, use cases of the uh, data analytic and the AI and uh, machine learning in a way that how we are collecting more data that was not possible to be collected in the past. This is another great example of uh, digital transformation and how we are digitizing the asset and so that we will then be able to bring the information in where we can then start measuring and improving with the understanding with the use of the data and analytics. I hope this episode gives you the really good idea in terms of like how you can use the data in the way that was never possible before and helps you to think about more solution and bringing more data analytics into your organization and create an unfair advantage over your competitor. If you have any question for me or David, send us a voice message using the Anchor app or send me an email. And uh, I hope you enjoy. Thank you. David, welcome to the Analytics Show podcast. Super excited to talk to you here because I know we have a really unique topic about using the data. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be here. Now, before we start, can I just say, welcome back to Australia after spending 13 years in Hong Kong. Do you find Australia and in particular Sydney has changed much compared to when you left? property prices, coffees and beers are a lot more expensive. But outside of that, it's it's mostly the same. I think it's definitely growing up as a more global city and certainly coming from Asia, it is the envy of, of many globally. Such a great city to live in and I'm very happy to be back, I must say. That's great. Good to hear. And I agree with you. I think there are two things are for sure. Sydney City continues to develop and play its role as a global city, as you say. And our love for the real estate hasn't changed much. That is something that it seems to be what you were saying earlier. Do you think that is the case in terms of our, our love with the real estate? Absolutely, particularly at the residential level. But commercial property has been hot for the last six years pre-COVID. 
when in Hong Kong looking from afar, there's two major sectors in Australia, property and resources. But what's encouraging, having come back a few years ago, is there's some green shoots in the tech industry, you know, with Atlassian being very prominent in the press and in Australia and globally, and more recently Afterpay and these payment systems. So that's encouraging. I think this is a great Australia and in particular Sydney and Melbourne, great platforms to launch tech businesses. So let's wait and see. It's going to be an exciting sort of 10 to 20 years ahead. Good stuff. Now, I know that given the present condition of our world, we should all be environmentally conscious. And I think that is the platform that you are using as well. Now, you are playing your role in trying to make the world a better place. So when did you realize that you can use data to save the environment and what ignited you have a passion for? It? Yeah, it was, a, it was about six years ago. I was living in Hong Kong, obviously hadn't paid a huge amount of attention to the pollution that was very present in not only Hong Kong, but China and elsewhere in Asia. I was in the finance industry at the time and a friend of mine had just started a business in quantum computing and fintech was starting to become far more relevant within the banks. And it was the combination of understanding how data could be used to create efficiencies and what was happening to the environment obviously exaggerated up there in in Hong Kong and China. And then the birth of my first child, I thought, wow, this is, what are we doing? We've got to try to do something about this. And and at the time I met met the company, came across the company that that I'm now working in the big data space, which, which has a dramatic effect on the built environment, which is a big contributor to the carbon footprint. Now, I understand that is where it prompted you to start your new venture since you are back to Sydney. I believe is literally related to the real estate and also the big data. And that's called Adopt AI. Would you like to share with us about this new venture, Adopt AI? Yeah, sure. This is a company I came across about seven years ago. At the time, they were an energy management contracting company, consulting company, and they had offices in the US and in Asia. And due to a, a number of problems that were present then, but also growing quickly, such as lack of quality, high quality engineers in the space, higher energy and labor costs, increasing concerns and focus on sustainability and increasing risks for operations managers within the built environment, which you know was people, costs and tenants. These guys had already developed some algorithms and evolved these algorithms to what we have today, which is an enterprise platform that integrates artificial intelligence and machine learning to utilize big data and provide real-time insights to enhance efficiency within facilities and, and assets. And it's making a big difference across the vertical of operations within the property sector. And I thought it was, had a look at Australia, there was nothing down here at the time. And as we discussed, there's a huge footprint in the property space, commercial, industrial, retail, and so I decided to bring it back here when I moved the family back in end of 2016. Right. Now, from my research, it seems like this solution is really for all the parties involved, i.e. the owners of the building, the managers and the tenant. So what benefit are they getting from each of them? Yeah, it's, it's very much uh, the tenants, look, they're after good conditions 
and thereafter lower outgoing costs. Outgoing costs are, are an issue. They're very high. They can be as high as $270 per square metre. They're looking also far more conscious about sustainability scores. And as you probably know in Australia, that's neighbours' ratings, Green Star building ratings. And globally, ESG has become quite prominent. So this helps to control those scores. It helps to improve tenant comfort and it helps to reduce outgoing costs, which for tenants, they're kind of split into two parts, statutory and non-statutory. And the non-statutory stuff is energy, is maintenance, repairs and maintenance and labour, which which makes up a fair bit of that non-statutory cost. The landlords, when those outgoings go down, the value preservation increases. So that's important for them. The cost of their building goes up if they're managed more effectively. With a more effective management for the right price, you attract better tenants, you sustain tenants, and you're able to generally become a landlord of choice within the market, which is incredibly important, more important now than it ever was, given what's happened with COVID. And for a lot of these building operations, uh, particularly bigger portfolios, this is a data-driven strategy, which is future-proofing their portfolios because they're able to make far better and far more insightful decisions by having access to this data that's being organised and presented in a very commercial way so that you can make decisions based off that data. And that applies to operations, it applies to future developments, it applies to procurement strategies. So you can really dig very deep when you've got that data organised efficiently. And then I think third, the contractors, those that get on board here because it disrupts the contractors, no doubt, can scale far quicker. They can be more efficient, accurate and provide a better service and so they can differentiate from their competitors. If you're talking about contractors, that can be not just the mechanical guys, the BMS guys and the cleaning contractors, but also the big real estate companies like JLL and Seabury and Cushman. Those guys are providing FM services. So if they're able to provide a far better service, then they obviously increase the profitability of that business by using less humans and providing a good service and they also take market share. There's a number of benefits for a number of layers of the property industry. So it seems like that perhaps there is an opportunity to integrate your platform and drive the data with the contractor. But I think I'm going to come back to that. I want to go lay out the whole concept of how this thing works, present it to the audience, and then we can bring this back in. Uh, tell us a little bit more in terms of the technical. So how does it work? How are you gathering the data? And how are you passing it on to the building owner? And what kind of data do you utilize? I know that is a big question. So let's break it down to a few components. So in terms of acquiring the data, in most buildings, the data is already there. It's been hardwired by the BMS company. So that data is centralised in a server called a building management system or, or an energy management system or both. So it depends how the newer buildings have both and the energy management system controls all of the smart meters. The building management system is typically connected to all of the plant and equipment that runs the HVAC heating, ventilation, air conditioning that runs through the building. And then there's an emergence with IoT, there's an emergence of smart sensors, in particular movement sensors. 
they're becoming more popular. They're more tenant-driven, but they can add value to the landlord as well in terms of managing the building. So when connecting to a building like that, clients can have access to that data from start to finish, see where it goes. And it goes, effectively, it's a, you know, that already sits in the cloud or we connect a very simple laptop on site, which reads the data from those systems and sends it up to a cloud source. And for us, it's, we use Microsoft Azure Cloud. Once it's in the cloud, we have algorithms that sit in the cloud and then make sense of, of that data. Currently, we run more than 8,000 rules in that cloud. And so in real time, that data is pulsed every three to five minutes up into the cloud. And the algorithms run through that data in real time and then push information down to a dashboard or an app so that people can respond to that information. Right. So your solution at the Adopt AI is also bringing together all of those different data sources, i.e. the energy data, and the building management system data, as well as the sensor movement data, all into a single platform to be managed. Is that the right way of putting it? Yeah, correct. Correct. So the, the data, the algorithms have been set up in a way that they're, the beauty of AI and machine learning when you get it right is it has extreme capacity. So as things continue to open up, you can ingest lift data and any type of data within that operational vertical, which manages the building. So I often talk about phase one, two, and three. And phase one is HVAC, the biggest cost on the building. And phase two is people movement data so that the algorithms can understand how people move around. And this is all read-only, so we're getting read-only data and providing insights to management so that they can direct labour far more efficiently and accurately. And then third, once everyone's comfortable with that process, we'll start to feed two ways. So by understanding how people move around, you'll be able to tell the HVAC system and security, et cetera, when to open, when to close, when to turn on, when to turn more chillers on, provide more cool air, turn it off. And this is already we're doing that by tapping into weather data and allowing insights for facilities managers to optimise plant equipment tomorrow. Based on weather's doing tomorrow, they can optimise the day before. So in terms of data, to give you another example, we're, we're working with a couple of global solar companies at the moment because we've, we've done a couple of proof of concepts with utility-scale solar farms, providing very similar outcomes, drawing the data from the SCADA system, which is a bit like a BMS system in a building, and analysing that data in real time using AI and machine learning and providing insights across a number of important outcomes that are required from operations and maintenance, which speeds things up, makes it far more accurate, and you have to use less labour. So your OPEX costs come down quite dramatically based on what the industrial standard practice is today. Now, you talk about the people movement data quite a little bit, and I think that is a fascinating subject. I suppose the question I have for you is then, do the building owner come to you for installing those sensor, those IoT devices in collecting the people movement data? Or it would actually have, they would actually 
be talking to other party to do that. While adult AI is purely bringing all the different data together and then it goes through your engine. Yeah. I think both. Yeah, I think both. But what's important for the landlord and or the tenant is they want a single source of truth. They don't want several logins and passwords. They want a they want a platform with capacity. And also they want a platform that can correlate all of that data and provide significant insights and outcomes. Everything has to have an ROI attached to it. And when it comes to looking at these operations, the biggest ROI that you can get is by reducing your labor or improving the productivity of your labor. So you look around the city in obviously Melbourne and Sydney and there's still lots of cranes in the sky and, and there's more and more and more commercial, industrial and retail facilities coming out of the ground, which means in the old way of doing things, you've got to hire more people to manage them, right? With a system like this, you can keep the same amount of people and manage twice as much and get better performance out of those buildings. And once the building owner are comfortable and you are able to move them to the phase three, which I was super excited when you mentioned it, is that how you fit it two-way, i.e. where you collect the data and then you fit back the data in to the whatever system in creating a loop. Can you give us some example what you are doing in that space in creating that loop to create the fit two ways of the information? Technically, we can do that now. I just think it's too big a leap. First of all, because most buildings don't have the smart sensor hardware in place to track people accurately. That needs to be pretty comprehensive to start with, right? That's why it's phase two. And I think alongside that, people, these companies are big. There's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of people involved at the moment. So I think to have an AI platform telling your BMS what to do is too big a leap of faith. And that's why, as I said, we, we were doing something quite like that seven years ago and we shifted to a platform that was more about providing insight to direct management, right? That's what's an enterprise platform. It's not really for the engineers to be using on a daily basis, the contractors to be using on a daily basis. It's for them to engage with, but we're kind of giving the control of the data back to management. And that was done primarily because, well, at the time, cloud became far more available and far more commercial. This is five, six years ago. And so that scalability became very apparent. And because we were testing the market in that control space, that automatic control space, they really weren't ready for it. And I think this path is far more logical and sensible because once you take a big chunk out of your costs, operational costs by using AI and machine learning effectively, then at the same time, once you get comfortable with that, it makes a lot of sense to, to spend the capex on smart sensors all over the building, right? Which then leads you to taking another whole layer of costs out by having the algorithms do the two way. So that's where we want to end up, but certainly not where you can begin. I see. So that is really the ultimate goal in heading to. It seems like in between there, the phase two and the phase three is where your system or the data, you can actually feed it back to the contractor, which I promised to talk about earlier. Do you think that is where the logical touch point where 
not only you're collecting the data and to extend, you can also facilitate sending those data to the contractor, whether they are the cleaning services, they are the maintainers, so that these people can come in at the right time to maintain the building because they have been notified by the system and with all your data. And as such, they will be then be able to prolong the, the life cycle of the building. Yes, yeah, spot on. That's exactly what we do now. So cleaning is a good example. With smart sensors installed, the cleaner can come into the building and have the app on their phone and, and it can tell them in real time which floors to clean based on certain parameters set by the, the maintenance team or the operations team that looks after that building. We've seen that can reduce costs from sort of 30 to 50%, right? Because often different floors and different bathrooms, et cetera, are cleaned when on a schedule that doesn't really require them to be clean because no one's been in there until midday, right? Similarly, within the HVAC system, it, it, the, the AI sort of looks at three major levels of detection of, of inefficiencies, and that's the data, so sensors, and in some buildings there's you know, 50 or 100,000 sensors that are relevant, so it scans them in real time, scans meters, smart meters in real time, and the next level up is equipment, so it's detecting faults and also predicting faults in real time so that you can fix things before they break. And the next level is the operation. So understanding, as I touched on before, what's going to happen tomorrow and giving advice today on how to set the HVAC system or the operational system up to be most efficient from an energy and equipment standpoint tomorrow. Can you share with us the impact in terms of the numbers? Like, I mean, how much cost or time is being saved? And what's the impact in terms of the return on investment? Yeah, it's a good question. So we typically, people in the in the building industry operate on a square metre rate. The outgoings are measured on a square metre rate. So we shifted our pricing in the recent couple of years to correlate with that. So we, we sort of charge between $1 and $3 a square metre on an annual basis. So for 30,000 square metre building, that's $30,000 a year until we prove the savings to them. And so for savings, you're in a, it depends on the building. So if it's a single large building or a medium-sized single building or a precinct. They're slightly different in terms of the savings you can achieve you know, the time it takes to achieve the savings. So you have a dramatic impact on a precinct. Let me give you an example. On a precinct there's, that we work with, there's 30 people on site and they're managing 300,000 square metres. So they're outgoing to, let's just say, they're low. Their outgoings are low at $150 a square metre. So they're it's a big number each year, right? We're talking sort of $45 million a year in outgoings. And so if we attack energy, which by running a more efficient operation, as I've described, energy, what we're seeing on buildings that we're connected to, goes down by about 10 to 15%, right? Equipment sustainability improves by about 20 to 25%. And labour, so on a big precinct, 30 people, you can reduce labour by about, 10 to 20%. And that means you either make people redundant or you reallocate them to a more productive role, right? And so the labour part, if I say five people, wages plus on costs is anywhere between 150,000, 200,000 per head. So that's a million dollars immediately saved, right? 
if you talk about energy, 10 to 15%, it's not a huge amount of outgoings, but it helps sustain or improve your neighbor's ratings. And equipment, then that pushes out the cost, capital, capital cost curve, which is a big advantage to the landlord because they pay for that. So that's where the tenant is better off because their outgoings go down by just to jump to the numbers, sort of five to 10 bucks a square metre. And the landlord is in a good place because the outgoings have gone down, but their sustainability scores have gone up. So it's, it's never been done before where sustainability scores go up and outgoings go down. Sustainability scores, if ever they go up, outgoings go up because they've had to spend a whole bunch of capex to upgrade the equipment to get the neighbours ready to go up. So the ROI on that can be anywhere between two weeks and six months, depending on the building. But the fact that we attack labour changes the game. If you're only attacking energy, you pay backs two or three or four years. Now, do you think, other than those benefits that you mentioned, I think one of the key bits that um, super important is that can we make the building safer? Can we, how the software is helping to make the property industry environmentally safer and, and sustainable as well? Yeah, the safety is an interesting one. It's, I think, with a tech like this, which people often underestimate, it, it provides a lot of transparency and accountability, right? Because you can customize this on any site so that that real-time information is pushed into reports and it could be up to 10 different reports and that those reports can be highly technical for people on the ground managing the building, engineers or FMs or contractors, to a one-pager summary for a CEO which will highlight your sustainability scores, how many faults have been amended, how much energy you've saved, how much, how much labour you've saved. And at the end of the day, I think that transparency and accountability provides a certain amount of safety within that operation space because you know that people are fixing things or not. It, it prevents risk of major equipment failure because you've seen it in real time. And I think that's pretty much that, that reporting and transparency piece is, is much bigger than we think. But there's not, because it's not a construction site, it's a finished building in terms of risk, there's not a huge amount of risk of injury. But when you talk about sustainability, obviously I've touched on the, the scores being enhanced and that's energy reduction, that's prevention of massive water leaks. Every one of these buildings has water leaks and and a recent example, two weeks ago, the doctor picked up and sent a message to the FM that there was an issue on the roof with an irrigation tap, which is metered individually. And he obviously went up there and had a look and it was leaking. He turned it off within three hours. And he told me that he wouldn't have picked that up for five days. So that saved him two million litres in wasted water. And they do the neighbours' ratings audits at the end of November. At the moment, he's tracking at five and a half stars, which is super impressive for water. And if he hadn't picked that up, he would have dropped probably to three and a half. One major leak and he would have dropped to three and a half stars. So that's a big risk mitigator and great for sustainability because we're not wasting energy, we're not wasting water and equipment's lasting longer, so we're not having to replace it. I think that brought up a question that I've for you is that with the implementation of the solution like yours, 
would it help the business, uh, the landlord, when it comes to providing the Green Star certification, such as one by the Green Building Society of Australia? Yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Those guys, their framework measures sustainability across product, energy use. So where you procure your product from, is it recycled timber or is it improving the sustainability of the building from a product standpoint, but also for, from a tech standpoint, it will, will have the same value because you're reducing the amount of energy that you're using and you're improving the sustainability of the equipment that sits within the building, which all has a major carbon footprint attached to it. Now, I understand the solution has been widely implemented. Share with us some success story, both in Australia and overseas. Yeah, sure. So I already touched on the water leak and that building's been great. We've been in there for a few years and we've seen energy reductions. We went into that building when it was relatively new, so we helped to commission it. And it was built as a five-star building and we're tracking at six stars on energy and five and a half stars on water. So we've been able to achieve reductions in both energy and water use. And on the labour side, we're just now starting to move into having a very good look at the contracts for contractors on site and moving them from a scheduled type of contract to a predictive, proactive style of contract. So that's, that's a huge win on that side. In the US, we're getting incredible feedback from a huge hospital group because they've kind of jumped straight into, yeah, energy's not a big concern for us. It's really about labour and we've demonstrated to them that they can severely enhance their labour productivity. And so that's been a very positive outcome over in the US. And in Asia, on a huge precinct, we're saving group up there over $500,000 a year. And as you know, labour up there is a fraction of what you pay here. So the equivalent in Australia would be multiple millions. So those guys also have, have been a great success story. Given that the climate change is high on the agenda in the government and the society and even to the extent of the corporate now, do you find that is providing momentum to adopt more of the solution like yours in the broader sense of the commercial world? Uh, yes. From all sides, sustainability has yeah, definitely climbed up the priority list and at the same time, so is technology. I think sustainability in Australia, I think we've led the world in the built environment on sustainability. And this all started in the 90s with the adoption of neighbours and, and then smart meters and consultants driving energy costs down to satisfy neighbours' ratings. But I think ESG in recent years has become probably a, a bigger global standard. And the fact that it's becoming far more of a priority for tenants means landlords have to make it a much bigger priority. I think, again, where we differentiate is not only can we satisfy those sustainability needs, but we do it in an incredibly commercial way because we require less labour to achieve those higher standards. And that's the game changer of implementing artificial intelligence and machine learning into this, into this sector. Right. Now that almost brings us to the end of the interview. Um, I'm going to ask you my two usual questions. Uh, number one is, what is your most important first principle? 
always ask questions and listen. <laughs> nice. I have a equivalent saying of that, which is uh, God give us two ear and one mouth. <laughs> they want us to, he wants us to listen more and uh, talk less. Uh. <laughs> now, what is one book that you would have read and thought it would have been better for your younger self to have? There's a guy that I've followed for the last four years. And the reason it's only been four years is because until five years ago, he was very, very, very private. His name is Ray Dalio. He's the best hedge fund manager in the world. And uh, he started using AI back in the 70s. And it's because of AI that he's worth 20 billion today. It was a huge wind in his sails of managing money for people around the world. And his book, Principles, Work and Life, denotes the 270-odd principles that he's developed over the last 50 years. And I highly recommend reading it now. It's never too late. And if I'd read it in my 20s, it, it would have uh, been a big help. He is writing a lot this day, especially even on LinkedIn, and he's really sharing a lot of his principles. And I believe his company, Bridgewater, is actually also mentioned in the book of uh, From Good to Great. Yeah, great, great doubt. Highly, highly recommend. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much, David, for sharing how the AI and machine learning can be adopted in managing the building and save the world. I think this is a really interesting, really great stuff that you are doing. I hope this will encourage more people adopting this in managing their building, especially for those institutional investors or manager who has got a large portfolio of the commercial real estate. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Jason. 